Uh, John chapter 7, verse 53. Let's, let's open up our Bibles and start right there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. Here we go. John chapter 7, verse 53. It says, Then the meeting broke up. Everybody went home. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. We'll pause. Let's rewind back to John chapter 7, the last couple of weeks. Uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles is going on. The Festival of Tabernacles is going on. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. Uh, people are, are gathered in Jerusalem for this special moment. Jesus has been teaching, and uh, everybody's attending. But here's the thing. Jesus just didn't teach. He did a little Thor action. He brought down the hammer, and he taught with authority and power. And people are like, whoa, who is this guy? To teach with such great authority, they, 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 some people loved him. Some people were like, I'm not sure. And then there were the religious leaders who hated him. And they plotted his death. They tried to plan how they could get rid of Jesus. They tried to arrest him. But their plans always got thwarted in one way or another. So the people finished the day as we're reading the scripture here. The people finished, and they went home. They got comfortable. They went to bed. We see Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray and then get some rest. The religious leaders, it doesn't say where they went, but we're going to make an assumption here. They didn't go home to sleep. See, their, their plan to arrest Jesus got all mixed, messed up. So let's come up with another plan. How can we arrest Jesus? Let's, we've got to come up with something here. What can we do? Hmm. You know, I often encourage people, um, and I talk to a lot of coaches and players and people, and I say, man, you've got to finish strong. We always say that. You've got to finish strong, right? But I, I, I mentioned in the devotional this week, we shouldn't just finish strong. We should finish focused as well. At the end of the day, when things have gone on, and whether good or bad, no matter what comes your way, win, lose, succeed, fail, when you finish at the end of the day, do you go to God in prayer and get the rest you need? Or do you become like the religious leaders who were planning out and doing evil, trying to figure out how they can get revenge on somebody they don't like? See, how you go to bed, I I often believe, determines how you're going to start that next day. I'm very protective of my Saturday nights. Uh, there's many times where on a Saturday night I might go to bed earlier than anybody else in the house. Sometimes I'll stay up later. Most of the time I'll get to bed earlier. And I'm like, sorry guys, big day tomorrow. I know it's coming. I need to get my rest. So there might be a few more rounds of skip bow going on or whatever's going on at the house, campfire. I, I'm, I cash in early, right? But for Jesus, I believe he went off to the Mount of Olives. Everybody went home to rest. He went to the Mount of Olives to pray and to gear up because he knew what was coming the next day. He is, after all, the Son of God. So he knows how to prepare himself, right? Well, as he is getting equipped for the next day, um, so are these religious leaders. So I'll pause for a second. And let's just have that little inward question. How do we finish our days? Do we finish focus? When you've had a good day, bad day, do you thank God for it? Do you ask God for the strength to help you through it? Do you go to bed angry? Do you go to bed scheming about how you can get back at your coworker or that kid at school or whatever? Do you go to bed, meet with your Heavenly Father in prayer and say, I need help for tomorrow because today was rough. I want to encourage you, make sure you finish the day correctly, right? Because here we are, we're at the next day. And Jesus is where? He's in the temple. I want you to think about this. The religious leaders wanted to quiet him, wanted to shut him up, wanted to arrest him. And where's Jesus at? One of the most public places you could be, in the temple. Now, he is most likely in the what we call the court of women. The temple is broken into multiple sections. The innermost place 
Obviously, um, as you work your way towards the outer courts, uh, more people can be a part. The further you went in, the less people could attend. At the court of women, which is one of the outer courts, that's where basically men, women, uh, people of different race, you could come in there, okay, and, and worship. But the further in you went, excluded people. So this is where most likely Jesus is teaching. And the religious leaders who are supposed to be, let me repeat this, who are supposed to be devoted. Let me hear you say devoted. They're supposed to be devoted to Scripture. They're supposed to be devoted to a holy life. They're supposed to be devoted to living in a way that would honor the God that they, they serve. Waste no time in being evil and rude. They're supposed to be devoted. Do you ever wonder, you know, as Christians, we got labels on us, how we're supposed to be? And do we ever come across differently? Well, these religious leaders are supposed to be devoted, and they are nothing but evil and rude. While Jesus is speaking in the temple, he's teaching in the temple, they just come right in and interrupt. Who cares if Jesus is talking? I'm just going to step right in and say what I want to say. Look at verse 3. Let's read this. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And again, this is happening as Jesus is publicly teaching in the temple. They just interrupt, come right up and like, hey, we're about ready to embarrass you, trap you, and shame her. But never mind us. We're going to make this as public as possible. Let's embarrass as much as we can out of this woman, okay? But there's really no need for this because if they would have done this the correct way, she would have been held somewhere else along with the man who was caught in adultery. They would have been held somewhere else out of public view. The people, that witnesses would have come forward to talk to the judge and say, this is what I saw. And then the trial would have taken place. And then it would have gone back and then put into motion whatever they decide. But no, it's not going to happen this way. They decide, we're just going to bring her out in front of everybody so everybody can see it, and we're going to do this with you, Jesus. And obviously, again, their motives were to trap him. Now, look in your Bibles, and let me ask you this. When I look at mine, sometimes there's little headers above the verse. Most of yours might say, what, the woman caught in adultery? Is that what it says, maybe? Some of yours are different, okay? But what, what happens when you get caught? I want you to just pause and think about that, okay? What does it feel like to get caught? Maybe you were sneaking something out of the fridge. Maybe you were sneaking something out of the cookie jar, the candy dish. You got caught. Maybe, just maybe, it's never happened to anybody in this room. Driving down the road, maybe going a little bit over the speed limit. Nobody in here can relate. Um, Right? And you see that police car, and you're like, oh, caught, Right? Uh, driving yesterday, taking taking our son back to college, uh, I saw a lot of police and I saw a lot of brake lights hitting. You know, it's like, oh. We all know when we've been caught. Maybe you were caught looking at something you should not be looking at. You were caught in a lie. What have you been caught at? Uh, we all know. You ever see those kids when they get caught? The eyes, the face is just amazing, isn't it? They, you look at them like, hey, what are you doing? They're like, their eyes like, Nothing. Caught. Busted, right? But here's the thing. Let's talk about the emotions of that. Okay? What kind of emotions are going through you when you are caught? What flood your soul? Fear? 
first of all, before you get caught, you don't want to get caught, right? So you have a little fear. But then you do get caught in the fear of the punishment, right? Maybe there's shame. Maybe there's guilt. Remember what happened to Adam and Eve when they got caught? They tried to hide themselves. They discovered, oh my, we, we have no clothes on. Um, let's get some fig leaves and let's sew together an outfit and let's go hide from God. By the way, hide and seek with God, you never win, do you? We always lose. They tried to hide. Some of us, when we are caught, we tried to hide. We try to hide our feelings. Um, maybe we get, some of us get defensive. Uh, well, we try to fight back, right? Last time you got caught, think through what emotions you felt. Because that's what I want you to understand right now with this young lady. She's been caught. And she's in front of everybody. There's a crowd there. What's going through her? Humiliation, shame, guilt. Maybe she's mad at the guy that she was with. Because where is he at, by the way? We'll get to that. She was held against her will, prisoner under the custody of these religious officers, so to say. You know, they caught her involved with a man, not her husband, the very act of adultery, which we know is sin. According to the scriptures, we, we read, you know, even they, even they said, according to the law of Moses, pointing back to what Moses said, right? Well, what was the law of Moses? We're not going to take time to read all those scriptures, but I'll put three of them on the screen for you. Leviticus 20.10, Deuteronomy 22.22. 22. And Deuteronomy 17, verses 5 to 7, clearly explain that culturally and morally, adultery is wrong. To cheat on my spouse and to go sleep with another married person is wrong. Then and now, it's wrong. And God was very strong about this. Because marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. And God doesn't want us to cheat on him. And so when you see this sin, yes, it seems like, wow, this is sort of harsh, right? What, what it says in the scripture. Uh, all sin is condemned in the Bible, by the way, okay? This one seemed to be a little bit more to it. And, you know, again, there's more uh, laid out here. But here's what would happen. If you were caught, uh, this is what they do. First of all, both parties would be brought or present at the hearing, both the man and the woman. Now let's pause for a second. Who is brought to Jesus? Just who? Just a woman. Where's the man? It's a good question. It's a good question. Hmm. Number two, there would be a minimum of two to three witnesses, and they had to agree perfectly. They had to see the what took place in the act. It wasn't like they were outside the house and... The man came out or the woman came out. Ah, busted, you were in there and you were probably... No, 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 no. They had to see the actual act. So they were either peeking in the window or through a keyhole watching what was going on so that they could, two or three witnesses, say we saw exactly what took place. Number three, both would be brought to the trial. And number four, the witnesses would be the first to throw the stones. Now that is according to law. When you look up those scriptures in Deuteronomy, these things would all be laid out. Now, when we look at this situation, something seems a little bit off, right? Uh, to mention the obvious, which we already said before, was where's the man? Where was he at in this situation? He was involved in the very act of adultery, was he not? 
yet the guilty man was not there at the time of judgment. Hmm, seems a little fishy, right? And note the timing in which all this happened, by the way. The day before, they were trying to arrest him. It didn't work. They've been trying to plot and plan all this long to get Jesus. They can't. So let's think about this. How can we get him? Going off to bed. I'm going to pray and go off to bed. And the religious leader's like, we've got to figure this out. How we can plot and plan to get Jesus. How about adultery? Yes. So who knows how this all went down. There could be some assumption that maybe they found some guy to go in with this married woman so that they could catch them in the act of adultery. Maybe it was one of the religious leaders. We, we don't know, but isn't it sort of funny how that all happened that night and that they were able to witness all of this? Hmm. The act by these religious leaders, I'm going to tell you right now, is more sinful than the woman. They worked on trapping Jesus. This is just flat out sleazy and sick, what they did. To use another person for their gain. To take somebody and put them into a situation where they'll mess up. Or to find somebody who's messed up and take them and to pull them out and humiliate them and to embarrass them in front of everybody else just so that I can have my way. So interrupting Jesus, they ask him, what do you think we should do? What do you think, huh? What do you think? They set the trap for Jesus. And here's the thing. If Jesus says, okay, let's go ahead and uh, just free her. Let her go. Then he's breaking the law of Moses. But if he says, let's execute her. Go ahead, let's stone her. Then he's got a problem with Rome. Because basically the religious leader, they have given up a lot of their authority to Rome. And now Rome is the only one that can really go out and execute people by law and make it official. So the Jews would now relinquish themselves of the execution. The Romans would do it. So if Jesus says, let her go, he's in trouble with one group. If he says, kill her, then he's in trouble with another group. So he's sort of stuck here, right? It's a trap. And they have done so well to get him there. And again, they did all this to get Jesus. And again, it's sick. It's sick that people would think up sinful ideas just to make somebody who is good fall, right? Well, these religious leaders made a person their object of a weapon, right? They devalued this woman. Uh, what did Jesus do? Look at verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, it's hard sometimes to look at somebody who's messed up. They've made a mistake. It might be a friend, it might be a family member, but we, it's hard to look at them and say, you know what, God loves that person. And, and obviously hates the sin that they were involved in, okay? But instead of judging that person, is there a way we can show them the love of God and reconcile the relationship between them and God? Can we be involved in that? Well, how did Jesus react? Because I believe that's where Jesus is going to go with this. Jesus didn't need anger, or intimidation. He didn't get up in the religious leader's face like, what? what? I know exactly what you guys are going to do. You know, he didn't get all angry with them. He didn't scream at the woman and say, what were you doing? He, he was so calm. And so instead of giving a lecture or a verdict, he bends down 
very calmly. And he begins to write. Now, what was he going to write? We don't know. There was a time um, when they would go into the temple and sometimes when they would make decisions, a, a verdict of something, a decision that needed to be made, that they would write down in the, in the dust of the, the name of the accuser and their sin and then what would be the penalty. And then they would declare it and then they would go off and put it into motion and then they would just erase the dust, you know, just sort of move it around. So there's a lot of different people commentators, authors, pastors who have different ideas about what could he have possibly been writing. We don't know. Some think he maybe was uh, just doodling in the dirt because the Greek word actually means to draw. So instead of writing something, maybe he's drawing something. Maybe he was um, stalling for time, like, uh, let me think what I can do, what I can do. Maybe he's writing down the passage of Scripture from what she just broke so she's writing he's writing down Deuteronomy right or maybe he's writing down the sins of the one that is accused or the accusers and he's writing down their sins cuz they're all standing over and looking like what's he writing ooh that's he just wrote my name ooh he just wrote what I did last night you know was he doing that there's all kinds of thought and speculation as to what it possibly could be that he was writing one pastor shared this and I want to share this with you cuz here's the thing because a lot of you, you know, thanks to technology today, you can go out and you can find a podcast. You can Google anything. You can find this scripture, another pastor, and it's like, oh, well, I heard Pastor so-and-so say this. And, and so, you know, a lot of times when I preach something, you can probably hear it preached five other ways, right? I heard one pastor, and I, I, uh, I trust what he has to say, and I enjoyed what he has to say. I'm not saying this is the exact translation, but I'm going to throw this out as another possibility. Because I think it's very unique. And it comes from John chapter 7, verse 37, 38, which was the day before. It's actually what we preached on last week. Because you remember in that scripture last week, it said, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone is thirsty, anyone, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We said last week that Jesus is the one who satisfies us. Whatever we're hungry for, whatever we're thirsty for, Whatever it is that we are in need of, Jesus has. And he fills that need. He is our Savior. But then he gives us his Holy Spirit. Right? Now look what happens then in Jeremiah 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Was it possible that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy right here? Writing the names of those who said, I do not trust in the living water. The day before, he just said, I'm the living water, drink of me. And these religious leaders obviously did not believe that. They had forsaken Jesus, the living water. So was he writing their names down, fulfilling scripture? Could be. We're not sure. But we do know what matters is what's going to come next. Look at verse 7 8. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, Back off! Just kidding, I want to make sure you're reading. Okay. He stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he rode in the dust. Isn't that amazing? I love how Jesus works. This is like a mob situation. They're pressing in even more. They keep, Come on, come on, Jesus, come on, Jesus. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? He just stoops down again, right? 
He stands up as they continue to ask. And you wonder, does he make eye contact with the woman? And then maybe eye contact with the accusers? He says, all right. But let you who's not sinned throw the first stone. Basically, he's going like this. In Jewish law, again, remember, there would be two or three witnesses. So those two or three witnesses who caught them in the act of adultery, they're the ones that are supposed to throw the stones first. Again, these are probably bigger rocks, bigger stones, because the whole point of stoning somebody was to kill them. We're going to throw rocks at this person until they're dead. So those accusers, those witnesses, should have been right near the front with their two or three stones, one in each hand, maybe some tucked under, you know, in their robe somewhere, I don't know. And they're ready to go, right? And basically Jesus is, is coming up into this situation and saying, So, who among you is the one that witnessed the crime? Who is it that orchestrated all of this to humiliate this woman and bring her up without the man to me? Let you be the first one to throw the stone if you yourself have never sinned. Hmm. He didn't say executor or don't executor. He just sort of let justice take place. All right. We'll be fair about this. Because if this is what's supposed to happen, you be the ones to initiate it. Wow. A desire to punish others while ignoring our own sins. This is a place, again, where there's a lot of exposure going on in this poor young uh, woman here. And, and then there's some rebuking that could have been going on and a lot of things taking place. Let me ask you this. I mean, if we're in that crowd, who among us is without sin? No one, right? In this story, both the woman and the religious leaders are sinners as well as everybody else standing around. If that was taking place this morning right here in front of this church, guess what? All of us are in the, we've blown it, we have sinned. We are sinners. The story's always stated, the, the woman caught in adultery, but hey, you know what? We're all guilty, are we not? Obviously, what, what she did seems to be so much worse because, you know, it seems like sexual sins are the big ones. And we know this happens a lot. Even today, our churches have, have men and women who struggle in their relationship and their marriages. We have people struggling with pornography. We have people struggling with all kinds of sexual sins. It happens. It is happening. We know it. So we're, really, we're all in here today like, you know, we're all sinners. And why is it that this sin seems to be so more prevalent than others? Is not stealing wrong, lying, cursing, are not those sins as well? They are. They are. And the sins we commit are just as bad. To be judgmental, to lie, to cheat, all these things, it is sin. Sin separates us from God. And eternally, it puts us in hell. Which is why it's so important to understand what God has done in showing us his love and his grace and sending Jesus Christ to die for us, to save us from our sins. Jesus says what must be said in this situation. Okay, go ahead. If you are perfect in here today and you've never messed up, go ahead, pick up that rock and throw it at her. And then he 
stoops back down and begins to write again. He didn't stare down those accusing men with an act of intimidation. He didn't get in their face and say, I saw you. What you I know what you did the other. He let the, he let the spirit speak for itself. Jesus continued to care about that shame of that woman, and he did what he could to ease it. I want you to do a favor for me. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. All eyes closed. And I want you to pretend that this is you that was caught. What was it that you did that you got caught? And your accusers have taken you before Jesus this morning. And you stand before Jesus right now with all these people behind you calling you names and telling what you did. And you know that these, these men have rocks in their hands right now. They've got stones. They're about ready to throw them at you. Jesus just said, you, without saying, go ahead, cast your first stone. He just said, go ahead, go for it. Throw that stone. You've got your head lowered. Your eyes are closed because you're like, here comes the first stone. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And your eyes are closed. And all of a sudden you hear this. Go ahead and open your eyes. You just heard what the woman heard. And she was so ashamed of her sin. And her eyes were just like, and it's going to come. The stones are going to come. And then all of a sudden she heard those rocks and those stones just drop. And when she sort of peeked up, she probably looked around and was like, her accusers were gone. It was just Jesus stooping down, still riding in the ground. If it's me, what do I do? I don't know. Would I have went up to him like, thank you? Or I'm like, I'm just going to sneak out of here right now. He's not going to see me, right? Because I still feel shamed. I still feel guilty because I know what I did was wrong. And all of these, these false accusers have run away. The one who knows me is still right here with me. We understand why they left. We don't understand why they left in the way they did. Look at verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And she's standing there. Verse 10. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, I love this. The religious leaders, they're like, what? Hey, teacher. Hey, teacher. The accused woman caught in adultery goes, Lord. She's, she got it right. The others did not, right? The woman guilty of sin and a great sin knew the, the goodness of having no condemnation. She passed from sin and a death penalty to forgiveness and life. Because here's what's happening. She's sitting there saying, here comes the penalty. Here comes the penalty. And Jesus says, no. The penalty that you deserve, six months from now, I'll take it on the cross for you. And that's what he did. 
He showed her grace. He showed her mercy. She deserved those stones according to the law. We deserve the penalties that we bring upon ourselves with the sins we commit. But thanks be to Jesus Christ who died on that cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8 says. It's amazing scripture, right? An author by the name of Barclay said this, referring to the religious leaders. He said, hey, they knew the thrill of exercising power to condemn, but Jesus knew the thrill of exercising power to forgive. He came to forgive. He came to save. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. Like that woman, we're all guilty, right? Jesus forgives us. And then he says, neither do I. In other words, I'm not condemning you either. You've been forgiven. That's huge. That's, that's powerful. But this is where people in the story, and they look at each other and say, man, that's a great story. I've got to make sure I'm not being so judgmental on other people. And i got to love people. And yeah, I'll excuse the sin and love the sinner. I don't see that here. You know, we might smile at them and possibly laugh off there saying like, oh, yeah, whatever. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't say no big deal. He wasn't like, hey, it's no big deal. It's like, no, it's a big deal. It cost him his life, what she did. It was a big deal. He didn't judge her. She was, actually, he did judge her. And in his judgment, he declared her not guilty because of his death. He set her free. She was guilty. He forgave her. But here's the second part of the story we can't miss. Okay? Three big words. Sin no more. Sin no more. See, to continue in a sinful lifestyle is to sort of laugh at or condone what happened with Jesus here. See, that's the one thing. We, gotta, we look at what's going on in our lives and other lives. It's like, you know what? I can't condone that. I can't laugh at that because it's sin. It hurts and it's hurting you. And what did Jesus say? You're forgiven. Now sin no more. I want you to move on in your life. But stop sinning. Some of us, we forget that part. We're like, hey, I'm forgiven. I can go do whatever I want to do now. Or I can continue to do what I was doing. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Sin no more. Would you forget that part? What I did on the cross was for you. Not just for one time. It's some powerful words. He recognized that what the woman had done was sin, but he told her, stop sinning. He told her to repent. told her to, to not continue in her sin. He gave her new life. You know what I love about this? He also gave her that you're not condemned part. You know why that's so huge? Church, you listen to me very carefully because a lot of us struggle with this. A day later, a week later, a month later, she was going to be off doing whatever. And you know what's going to happen? She's going to remember that she's guilty. She's going to feel shamed. Oh, I remember when I did that. I'm so embarrassed. And that's why Jesus had to remind her, you're not condemned. You've been forgiven. We like to hold on to those shame and guilt. And Jesus says, I wiped that out. Let it go. Jesus has let it go. He has forgiven us of it. But for some reason, we, we tend to hold on to things, don't we? I often uh, wonder in the story, who am I? 
I don't know about you, but when you look at the story, I mean, who are we? Are we the, uh, the, the one that was caught? And we need that forgiveness? Maybe we haven't asked for forgiveness yet. Maybe we feel shamed and guilty. And maybe today's the day we need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe we're the accuser. We're like the religious leaders. We're always pointing out the sins of other people. Did you see what they did? Mm, the judgmental person. I can confess to you this morning in front of this church, I can be that way at times. I can, I can see somebody do something, I'm thinking, what? You know, and it, but then I'm quickly reminded, I'm a sinner too, right? All of us need forgiveness for the sins we've committed, for the times we've judged others. We all are in need of a Savior. You know what I love about John three sixteen? It says, for God so well, he loved the world that he gave his one and only son that what? Whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. But you know what John 3.17 says? John 3.17 goes on to say, But God sent his son into the world not to condemn or to judge the world, but to save the world. He didn't come here to make that woman feel miserable. He came to save that woman. He does the same for you and I. All of us need to forgive us. All of us are in need of a Savior. So what is God saying to you this morning? What is God saying to you this morning? I want us the worship team to come forward and we're going to close with a song. And I'm going to pray. We'll go ahead and stand. And uh, I'm going to pray. But when I'm done praying, before the worship team leads us in a song, I want to give you another challenge. Would you stand this morning? We'll pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this, this day you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for truth. I thank you for this story. We've probably, some of us in here have heard the story so many times. And so, God, that's why I was just praying that your spirit would speak because um, it doesn't matter what I say. It's what you want to say to us through your word. So, God, there might be somebody in here this morning who is in the middle of a sin right now. They just haven't been caught yet, but they know it. And the thing is, you already know it and you see it. And maybe today's the day that you, We need to confess that sin to you. God, maybe we've already been caught and we feel shameful and guilty of what we've done. But God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for truth that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we can come to you right now and ask for forgiveness and you will forgive us and you will remove that judgmental, condemning feeling we have placed upon us. And a lot of times it's what we think others are thinking of us and just ruins us. So God, give us forgiveness. The forgiveness we do not deserve, but you gave. We ask for that. We ask that you remove our guilt and our shame. God, for those of us in here, maybe we're not guilty of like this woman was, but we're the accuser. We're the judgmental ones. God, forgive us for that. We want to be the ones that are showing the love and extending forgiveness to others and helping others. And and God, there's going to be times we might have to confront a Christian brother or sister and say, hey, what are you doing? That's wrong. We don't do that out of judgment or anger, but we do that because we love them. So God, when we have that opportunity that we have to share with somebody. Help us to do it in a non-judgmental way, but in a loving, grace-filled way, way that we can help another person in a relationship with you. 
But God, our own relationship with you needs to be so much better. So God, work in our, our, our own hearts right now. Speak to us, Lord, what it is we're needing to deal with. Talk to us, Lord. We love you, Lord. In the name we pray. Amen.